Hey, Outlaws, welcome to episode 73. Today we have a guest on the show and I'm really excited for you to listen into our conversation. It was a really fun flowing conversation and we touched on so much during this episode. Today we are joined by Ellie McBride. Ellie is a OG listener of the show, which is also amazing. She is an American expat living in Northern Ireland since 2017. After moving across the world to be with her Northern Irish husband, she struggled to find the flexibility to spend as much time back at her other home in Oregon to see her friends and her family. And in this quest for flexibility, she realized that building an online business from the ground up is the way to have everything she's ever wanted in life. Her goal is to give you a beautiful home on the web for your message and your work, all while helping you make your work more efficient. And we're going to touch on all of this today in today's episode. As I said, it's going to be a really casual and fun conversation with Ellie. We're going to get into what it's like to move across the world, even as a English speaking person moving to another English speaking, predominantly English speaking country. And really she shares some insights, not only into what it was like moving across the world and some of the things that she experienced, some of the struggles that she had. Um, She also talks, touches on the fact that she often thinks about what it would be like if you weren't speaking English and moving to another country. And she said that it's, you know, she says in the episode, how hard it was, even though she has so much privilege and is able to really access so much more than so many other people. So we are chatting about that today, but we're also going to talk about her business, what she does, her love of systems. We're going to get into all of that. So I am excited for you to listen into our conversation. So without further ado, let's check in with Ellie. You're listening to Entrepreneurial Outlaws, a podcast for creatives, introverts, empaths, and spiritual folks. Each week, we'll sit down and have the honest, transparent, and sometimes messy conversations about what it takes to build and grow a successful and fulfilling soul-aligned business on your own terms. Here at Entrepreneurial Outlaws, we advocate for building a business that serves your lifestyle, inspiring you to rewrite the usual business rules and take action through creativity and self-inquiry. We'll encourage and gently challenge you to dig deeper into what makes you and your business unique. And I'm your host, Melanie Knights, a multi-passionate entrepreneur, self-published author, mentor, and storyteller. I'm here to help you unpack the bro marketing strategies and entrepreneurial myths that lead us to overthink our business decisions, because overthinking is a feminist issue. Together, we are paving the way for a new normal in online business. So, are you ready to break the rules and become an entrepreneurial outlaw? Let's do this. Welcome to Entrepreneurial Outlaws, Ellie. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm really excited to be here too. I have been listening since the beginning, so I'm very excited to get to chat with you here. (laughs) <laughs> that's really cool to hear. I, I I know that you listen to the show and I'm so happy to hear that someone's been listening from the beginning. I'm like, I'm not just talking to myself. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I get I, that. Podcasting yes. is no joke. <laughs> no, it's not. It does feel like you're sitting down with friends, but it also sometimes you, you just, you don't, it's really difficult to measure that. You don't always know who's listening or 
Um, because we, I know for me, when I listen to podcasts, I don't always remember to take that screenshot or like do the reviews. I just kind of am immersed in the content and learning and you sometimes forget to actually do any of those other pieces. So yeah. Yeah. It can be hard to see how much impact a podcast is having. That is a much easier way of explaining it. Yes. That is what I was getting at. It is really difficult. (laughs) I think the metrics are really hard to measure as well. Mm -hmm. Really difficult. So anyway, in the intro, I mentioned that you are an American expat living in Northern Ireland. And I wanted to just kind of start by asking you what it's like, not just living in another country, but also building a business in another country. Yeah. um, Well, I mean, that is the crux of why I started a business. Um, So it's a really interesting topic, but... I knew that moving to another country and I did, I moved because I married a guy from here and um, I knew that it would be challenging. I had no idea how challenging Um, you kind of expect that you're moving from like a predominantly white English speaking country to another predominantly white English speaking country. And that it should be easy. That was not the case, but I will say it's given me a whole lot of respect for immigrants doing this without as much privilege as I happen to have. And Oh, um, yes, that's a whole conversation in itself, but building, living here has been really challenging. The first year I just honestly cried a lot. Um, the weather's different here. The food's different here, the bureaucracy. So things like trying to get a bank account or a national insurance number or, um, getting on the NHS was like hitting a brick wall over and over and over again as an expat. Mm. Um, you know, I, people in Northern Ireland, it's a really, I mean, if you're not from here or you're from listening from elsewhere, you might not know that Northern Ireland is a country that is only not recently out of a civil war as early as like as recently as the nineties. Um, so it's a really insulated country. And so, and, and if people are very, very friendly, but only trust people to, to so, so deep. Yeah. And so making friends in this country was really, really hard and still is really hard because um, the way I've happened to make friends is mostly making friends with other expats and on occasion they leave me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, it's, it's been challenging. And I think that because it was so challenging, I went holy can I swear on your podcast? Yes. Yes. I think. Okay. I went, Holy Absolutely. shit, I've got to go home more. <laughs> that was pretty much my response was, I've got to get out of here more often. And um, I need to go to the place that I feel safe and that I feel understood and that my my people are. Um, and my people being my family and my two best friends. And um, yeah. So long story short, I started my business so that I could work anywhere and go back to America more often. Mm-hmm. Having a lot of family from Northern Ireland, I very much understand the uh, the isolation and the, the lack of trust and just the way of living is very different. I've never lived there, but I've definitely visited family and it's it, there are my kind of aunts and uncles, their life experience and growing up amongst that civil war is very, very different to mm-hmm. anything even I've experienced, as you said, like you know, for me, it was like, this isn't normal. (laughs) This is scary. And those, those things are part of their daily life and part of, you know, so much of their culture as well. 
Um, the same with anywhere. So yeah. Um, yeah, and I, you, I will you, say I don't feel scared here at all. I want to tell that to people who are, who don't live here. It's not scary. It's a beautiful place to visit. The north coast of Northern Ireland is one of the most beautiful places. The Titanic was built here, and there's a gorgeous museum for it, and there's a lot of really fun culture. Um, like, it's not a bad place. I've really settled in over time. But and, – and on the flip side, it's a weird dichotomy where people here can are really untrusting in some ways and so, so trusting in others. Like I remember when I first moved here, we were having our wedding reception and I went to a little stand in the St. George's Market and went, can I cu- get six dozen cupcakes for a wedding reception two weeks from now? And he went, yep, see you then. No deposit, didn't take my name, not even a handshake, <laughs> just assumed that I would come get them. So that it's, it's a really lovely country in lots of ways too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned something, um, you kind of touched on the fact that coming to another country with the privilege that you have um, versus going to a country without the privilege. And you said that's another conversation. Can we have that conversation? If you want to, yes. That's something I think about a lot. Yeah, I, I would be interested to hear. Yeah. So, for example, because there's lo- there's so many facets of this, but for example, you know, it took me ages to get on the NHS, and I eventually had to get my mother-in-law to do it. Like, mm-hmm. I had to go to my mother-in-law's doctor, which is an hour from me, because I could not get past the barriers. And because the doctors don't really know how to deal with Im- the immigrant registration. Mm-hmm. And so the way it works is they go to register you and they go, oh, this says I need this form from you. Come back with this form. And then you go back with that form and everything else. And they go, oh, it says I also need this. And it just takes this like the the, the computer says no, essentially, until eventually it says yes. Um, and that was one really hard thing. I couldn't get a bank account because I had no official proof that I lived here other than my um, national insurance number letter. And they don't accept that as proof of official post. Nope. Um, I had to have my American bank change my address to Northern Ireland and then wait the like month and or something that it took to get my bank statement over here. Um, and those are like right. little things you could talk about the bigger conversation of the cost of immigration. Um, yeah. I, when I first applied, we did my marriage visa and that was fairly simple. And then we tried to do my, um, settlement visa for by ourselves and we did pretty well with it but they refused my visa on some really tiny technicalities and the uk government has this tendency to do that because it's a money-making machine for them um Mm -hmm. so when you pay for a visa in the united kingdom you pay 100 percent up front you pay everything whether or not you are approved and if you are denied they keep all the money the only money I was refunded when they refused my visa was um, you also, I had to pay a surcharge for the NHS. So to be able to use the the centralized healthcare in the United Kingdom, I had to pay a pretty substantial amount of money. I can't remember exactly what it was um, to be able to use it because the idea is that everybody else has been paying in the system for their entire working life. Right. Um, and so when they refused my visa, I could have, because it was on such a technicality, it was, they essentially refused my visa for two reasons. They said, one, um, on the application, we said we'd be living with my father-in-law because we didn't know where we'd be just yet. And they said, even though he has a giant country house, um, they essentially said, you've provided no proof that he will allow you to live with him. And we provided bank statements, but they weren't stamped by the bank. 
And those two things, they refused my application and we could have appealed, but the courts, um, are only open a couple days a week and it would have been 18 months, a year and a half Mm -hmm. without my brand new husband. Um, and we have the money and it's honestly, it's, it's a system that they can use to screen the people that can get into the country. In a lot of ways we have the money. So we just reapplied instead of, and we reapplied and I was in the country just over 12 weeks later. Yeah. Having worked in a financial organization in this country, I, I, yeah, the stamping and the proof and the, and well, I worked for a building society and back, I don't know if it's still the same, but they were even worse for the loopholes and the hoops you had to jump through and the ways in which you could not have a bank account and things like that. So yeah, yeah. That used to be very, that was one of the parts of jobs I really hated. Yeah. And I think that it's given me a lot of respect because I cannot imagine trying to to move into, if I didn't speak the language or have family here that could help me through some of the really tricky bits or, um, like there's still stuff that I haven't done. I need to move my doctor. I haven't. I I just, there's some things that I just feel I haven't gotten my driver's license here (laughs) because it just seems like too much. I mean, to be fair, I live in the city center. I can walk and cycle most places. Um, but there's just still some things that I've just been like, I don't have the energy to like fight the system to make this happen for me. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah. I think as you said, like you speak the language and mm-hmm. it's, it's so, it's so overwhelming to think that you wouldn't think that coming from the U S to somewhere within the UK could be that different, could be that much. A, yes, it's a different country. And of course there's going to be paperwork and all those kinds of things. I think we, we kind of know and expect that, but mm-hmm. I think we don't always think about the culture shock or the real, the changes or the ways in which people do things or the ways in which governments do things differently and mm-hmm. how that could impact us. And as you say, yeah. you know, you, you do speak the language. You do have people here you're able to speak to. And I think that's, you know, I, I think the fact that you think about that is an important part of the conversation as well, because it's something that it's so easy to forget about. It's so easy to not think about that. Um, mm-hmm. And I have a friend who's also an expat who is living in the UK from America. And yeah, I know that that has been really tough for her. And it's like when you, and she's got kids and it's trying to decide like those kinds of conversations of citizenship and, and, what, where you're going to pay taxes and all those different things that oh my gosh, I know. don't <laughs> that you don't always think about or aren't aware of, I should say. Yeah, it is. It is so much. There's so much involved to it. Like I'm in the process. I've just applied for my Irish citizenship, and will be applying for my British citizenship this summer. And the thing is, like, not that it's you know, it's the U.S. is a very challenging country to immigrate to as well. So I'm not saying yeah. it's. Um, but like, I'm going to have to take, you know, the life in the UK test and I'm going to have to know, and I've been practicing for it. And the questions are absurd, like completely absurd. Like who invaded the United Kingdom in the 15th century? And you're like, I don't know. Like, or like, I don't know. Gold medals in this sport. And you're like, I don't know. Um, and you know, some of the British people take this. 
oh my gosh, I know. Well, they made me in school in a, in, a, in my civics class, which you take in your last year of high school, they had us take the U.S. citizenship test. And I was in a class of nearly 30 people. And I think three of us passed this U.S. citizenship wow. test. Yeah. And this isn't a government class. Like this is a class where we learned how the government works in advance of going out into the real world. Yeah. I think the thing is, like, I mean, I certainly don't know the answers to those two questions that you just mentioned. And I think sometimes we take for granted our own history unless we're specifically taught that in school because, you know, we do only learn in in your own life. You tend to only learn the history that you're taught in school or from parents, grandparents, unless you go out and look to learn other things, unless you dig into history of where you're from or the country you're from or anything else. And it's, when you're younger, it's so, it's so difficult to know that, oh, I might need this, or this might be really important in my, in when I'm older and, and Mm -hmm. to suddenly be asked to answer these questions, which I don't know. I just, I struggle to understand how that relates to life in the UK. Cause I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I get why they probably do it, but it's, it's very weird. (laughs) I know. And, and I, you also have to take um, I won't have to because I'm coming from an English speaking country, but you do have to take an English test to get wow. citizenship in the United Kingdom. Wow. Well, that th- th- I think for anyone listening, I think gives you a bit of insight because, you know, I am in the UK. Um, I know sometimes that doesn't always seem obvious, <laughs> but I am in the UK. <laughs> and you know, having worked in some of these places where we have had to take ID, take proof, and it can be exhausting when you have someone in front of you who needs a bank account for a reason, and it's a really important reason, and no one can help, and you're trying to find a loophole. And I think the reality of my experience of that is how many people will just say, it's not my problem, it's not my job, you need to go find this, this, or this. These are the three things you can bring in, you need to get this. And I always, I disliked that part of the job because it felt like, as you put it, it felt like it was just like constantly coming up against some kind of tape. But it was also the thing that I valued about what I was able to do because I was like, no, we're going to find a way. There has to be some kind of, some kind of way in because it just feels like it's a system otherwise. And it's like, it's a game that can't ever be won by anybody um it was really really tough yeah so one of the things that you mentioned and I want to kind of circle back to that as well is you talked about the fact that coming over here or coming over to Ireland and um being able to go home essentially or go back to America and visit friends and family and that was one of the reasons why you started your business so can you give us a little bit of an idea of kind of when you started your business? And then also I'm really intrigued because I know that I'm pretty sure you had, you were employed before this, right? I, sh- yes. I saw that. Yes. So I'm really curious to know the transition from employee to entrepreneur, because I know that I struggled so hard with that transition. Um, and I'm just curious to know how that impacted you as well. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Um, interestingly enough, I, just to summarize, I have a degree in biology and community health that I've never used. Um, my plan originally was to be a physio and then I wanted to be a, um, then I thought I'd go back and get my master's in public health. And then I met my husband and then I moved to the other side of the world. And then I decided I needed to work from anywhere (laughs) and healthcare is a harder one to do that with. Right. 
Yeah. So, um, that, so I started my business, um, actually the very, very, I was tell, telling somebody this today, the very, very first iteration of my business, which flopped by the way, um, I started on my honeymoon. I built my first website for my, for the, for calibrated concepts on my honeymoon, my belated honeymoon. And that was, um, summer of 2016, 2017, okay. that would have been summer of 2017. And I started my actual, my business in its more successful iteration started six months later. Um, and I started out as a virtual assistant. And at the time I was working fully employed for a really cool, small tech law firm here in Belfast. Um, okay. and I really loved it. It was, I got, it's a kind of job where I was, wearing a lot of hats, which is the type of job I've always loved. Um, and where a lot of responsibility is put on me and the people were fantastic, but I knew that end game is that I wanted flexible remote work. Um, and I wanted to call the shots cause I'm, I mean, I'm all the things that we're starting to reclaim, right? I'm bossy. I'm a control freak. Um, like I really type a, and, um, I'm, I'm learning some of the more negative parts of that, but I really am, am learning to embrace parts of it as well. Yeah. And, um, so anyway, yeah. So the transition was interesting. Um, I got to the point where I was, I started out as a virtual assistant, which quickly evolved into a tech virtual assistant managing software and integrations and automation and email marketing and um, connecting everybody's tools so they'd free up more time, which was, is, is, and is hugely important to me. Um, helping to do, helping women and non-binary people to do business with more ease is my why outside of my, my why for flexible and, and location independent work. Right. Um, so got to the point where I had too much work at both jobs and it was like, something's got to give. Um, and that happened kind of the start of the summer of 2019. Um, and so I pretty much put in my notice and I gave them quite a long time to replace me, but I was on holiday for three weeks of that back in America. And okay. we pretty much came back, worked for like two weeks and then left at the start of September. So I went full-time self-employed six months before the pandemic. Um, (laughs) yeah, but I got what I, it was one of those times. Um, I was working with a business coach at the time, um, and really felt like the right time to leave my job. And it was one of those things where when I made the space for it, the clients flooded in, it was just one of those really magical moments in business. But uh, my favorite people to work for typically are solo entrepreneurs. And I had a lot of small contracts, a lot of small recurring clients. And I got really quickly overwhelmed with not knowing what was going to hit my desk that day, who was going to have an emergency, what I, it was just too, it felt really overwhelming. There was too much happening yeah. all the time. Um, waking up to too many emails, spending too much time, just even just sifting through the inbox before being able to get to my work. And yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that lasted not a whole long time. Um, I was lucky enough that I had gotten into, I was a six month 
accelerator with my business coach is actually started right at the start of February of 2020. Okay. And honestly, having that small band of women who are all entrepreneurs, like navigating the pandemic and what that meant for our businesses together was a godsend. Um, but yes, so essentially what long, what eventually happened is with all that support, I decided I needed to take on project-based work, which is what brought me to doing websites. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of service, if, if a lot of service-based business owners listening are going to resonate with that. I know I'm sitting here nodding, thinking, yeah, I experienced all those things. (laughs) And I, I think it is this learning curve because you, you know, for me, especially when I, I, cause I took my business into a service based version of itself at the end of 2019. And similarly, I didn't even really promote it. I was kind of talking about it and kind of around the outside of it. And I started to gather clients. And interestingly, I found in 2020, because I think we had no idea how long everything was going to last, it didn't necessarily drop in terms of client work and things like that. But I very quickly just remember sitting at my desk thinking, how am I ever going to go on holiday ever again? Like, how am I ever going to get back to quote normal? Like, I can't even like take a lunch break properly. Like just the, for me, it was the lack of boundaries, the the throwing myself partly throwing myself into work because then I didn't have to deal with what was going on outside. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely overwhelming. And I started to very quickly think, okay, I need to change how I'm working here. (laughs) This needs to be simplified. Um, yeah, I can, I can relate to that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard as well. It's hard to recognize those things and then know even once you start to put together, okay, there are other options, deciding which one is the best one for you. So obviously now mm-hmm. you do project-based work and how mm-hmm. has that been in transitioning from kind of either hourly or kind of ongoing contracts? Yeah, it's actually been pretty good. Um, it feels really relieving. Um, I get to call the shots more as to what each of my days look like. I don't take calls on Mondays. I only take my client calls from 3 to 5 p.m. Tuesday through Friday. Well, actually, only till 4.30 on Fridays. Um, last week on Tuesday, we I saw how good the weather was going to be, which just never happens here. And I just <laughs> decided I was taking Friday off and just blocked out my calendar and didn't let anyone book any calls. Um, it's a lot more lax. And between my boundaries, upping my prices, loads of these things that you learn the hard way sometimes in, in business between, um, and I have, and I did, I pulled a, a, I did, I did the same thing as you. The first two weeks of lockdown, I completely rebuilt my website as in avoiding the real world. Um, I started a second business, which I think will eventually, which I closed, um, near the end of last year, but I think we'll eventually have tie in again with my exist my my business but i just i filled the time with things because i am not yeah but um (laughs) i get it (laughs) yeah but essentially i did um it's been really good for me um i work a lot less than most people i know and i'm starting to learn how to be okay with that (laughs) Um, I'm really unlearning a lot of toxic productivity, um, but it's 
which is another, another conversation, which is something my husband makes fun of me for saying is another, another, but, um, yeah. And I think that, that, I mean, first of all, I totally resonate with the, um, for me, I talked about the fact that I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try and out-hustle COVID. Like, it's fine. It didn't work <laughs> at all, surprisingly. I then got COVID and was like, oh, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to have to lose some clients and, and scale down. Um, and it's so interesting when, you know, I think when you can look at the the ways in which the last couple of years have unfolded. I was talking to somebody yesterday about this. And she's like, we we can't ignore all the things that we've learned, like the this pockets of silver linings, the things that we've learned about ourselves and the ways in which we work as entrepreneurs and, you know, the boundaries that we have maybe been sometimes forced to put in place and honor. And I think that's a really important part of what's come out of the last couple of years and being able to acknowledge, as, as you said, like unlearning that toxic productivity, because my business used to be built on teaching and talking about productivity. And it was in 2020 when I realized that, oh, I'm not really being productive. I just feel like I'm kind of going day to day and not really, not really deciding how my days are looking. And there was such a feeling of a lack of control anyway, that it was very, very quickly, very overwhelming. And one of the things that I had tried very hard to do was to kind of peel back a lot of the layers within my business. And I know that you love systems and you talked about part of your reason why for having your business and helping us be more efficient entrepreneurs and systems that can support us. And it really sounds like that's, you know, it was a passion part of your passionate part of your job when you were working for the law firm, but also is part of your reason why. And I'm curious to know what some of the ways we can kind of start to reframe our own reframe our own systems as mm-hmm. entrepreneurs because we can get it could be really easy to kind of get stuck in the weeds and also get stuck in systems that maybe we're not always aware aren't working or aren't the most effective for us yeah so that's a big big question that i could probably talk for day, literally days about um <laughs> but because I get like really excited about these things but um I guess to start reframing is it is really about boundaries I think the number one system I tell people to put in place if they do not have any systems is a scheduling tool and mm-hmm. because it's the easiest way to put in boundaries in your business like I said I only take calls Tuesday through thir- Friday I can say I only take calls during specific hours, which means I know that I can honor taking business slow in the mornings, which is what I do. You know, I I get around, I go for a walk, I have a cup of coffee and, and I kind of build up to it. Um, it means that I have my scheduling tool I use for podcast recordings. I use it for client calls. I use it for consultations. I use it for when somebody reaches out to be like, do you want to have like a virtual coffee? And I'm like, yep, book it in. Like, I don't do that back and forth. When are you free game? Because it's so wasteful of everybody's time. And it also makes it way easier to push those boundaries of when you're able and willing to invest that type of communication or that kind of time. Um, I also find that when we do that back and forth, which I have definitely done in the past, but that back and forth can also lead to mistakes or miscommunication. It's so much easier when there's a tool in place that's going to take kind of control of the situation. Yeah. 
I also think taking some, if you feel really overwhelmed with systems, usually I tell people to start by writing, making a list. And actually it's, it's three lists, but kind of, you can make it all on one page and it's things you need to do in your business and maybe list those as things you, that you like doing and don't like doing things that maybe should be done in your business. Um, and again, and then really it's a matter of making these lists so that you can figure out what you can automate, what you can get rid of, what you can delegate. And if you feel uncomfortable with putting actual, the, the technical side of putting systems in place, I have loads of resources on my blog, but I also recommend maybe finding an operations manager or an online business manager or a tech virtual assistant that can help you get all of them set up so that you just have to learn a little bit how to use them. Um, which is a huge part. I still do quite a lot of this in my website work. I believe that your website should be working for you in the back end. So I integrate um, easy ways for people to book in things, people for people to pay, take payments, for people to um, get people on their email list and then get them that automated welcome sequence. Um, these things that just need to happen in our business. But everybody does, and this is, I think, the, the tricky bit is, I do not believe in one-size-fits-all systems. I do not believe in one-size-fits-all tools. Um, so it's really finding someone, and feel free to hit me up in, on Instagram, but to finding somebody that can ask the right questions and recommend the right tool without you having to go down like a full YouTube or Google rabbit hole. And I think that's part of the problem is that once you hear about mm-hmm. a tool, it's it's that fear of, well, not fear, but for me, it's certainly the thought of, okay, I found something that could do the job, but now I'm going to have to learn how to use it. <laughs> yeah. And that is, has quickly over the last few years, I've realized that is not my favorite part of doing things. I, I like to, I like to feel like I know what I'm doing with something, but I don't necessarily want to spend that time learning how to use a new piece of tech in my business when I actually only really need to know maybe the front end. I don't need to know all the back yeah. end of how it works. And that can, yeah, that can definitely overwhelm me at times. Yeah. And that's part of the thing that I'm quite passionate about. I'm actually in the process of um, reintroducing some systems work in my business. So mostly consulting, um, again, because it's project-based and I like it, and maybe some setups. Um, so where we set up and integrate everything and then leave you to the, to, to the rest. But um, I firmly believe if you can get things like your onboarding process systematized, and there's loads of ways to do that um, that might suit you, but things like getting that first invoice out, getting the contract signed, getting the education tools, getting anything they need to send to you, getting the boundaries set and all these things. Um, I think if you can get your onboarding system sorted, your, the way your communication system sorted, and that's both with your clients and maybe your team, if you have one, those two things will save you huge, huge headaches. And then as a bonus, if you can get your offboarding system set to make sure your clients, that's a huge thing for making sure that your clients or customers feel nurtured. They feel looked after, they feel like they're special and for pulling in those pieces of social proof that are really good for showing that you know what you're doing and the people love working with you. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely the part when I was running my service-based business, I know that I would not have been able to do that without that tech support because 
just looking at, I mean, at the time I was using Dubsado and I was like, I do not know what I'm doing right now. And having someone be able to come in, set it up and then automate all those pieces. It was a lifesaver. It really, it, I wouldn't have been able to run my business without those pieces in place. Mm-hmm. It was made a massive difference. Well, we are almost at the end of this episode. Um, but I do have another question for you and it is always the most important question <laughs> of these guest episodes. And that is, what does it mean for you or to you to be an entrepreneurial outlaw in your business? Yeah, I should have known this was coming. Um, but it's, <laughs> um, for me, it's, and it's, 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 I feel like I've hit several stages of business where I've relearned to take no shit and do things my way. And then the world evolves or my life evolves or something. And I sort of not forget, but have to redefine what that means for me. Yeah. And I, I've talked about before, but I was really raised on this whole, like, take no shit and do your thing kind of mentality. (laughs) So it should come sort of naturally to me, but society does its best to beat this out of you, right? Everything we see, everything we read, everything. So it's constantly redefining that for myself as, and, and I think that's the other side of being an entrepreneurial outlaw is this like unlearning the toxic productivity and saying, I'm going to do things my own way. And like, I haven't worked much in like almost a full week and everything's still okay. Everything's standing. And I don't really feel guilty about it. And a year ago, I would not be feeling okay about this. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. That's, I think the idea of rest and slowing down as business owners, as women, as as folks who identify as women in a world where there is so much of an expectation. And I think where we are expected to do more and be more and take on and the, the, there's a glorification in being that person who will do anything for anyone. And I think when we challenge that, it is going to be scary, but I think it also, you do it once and you're like, oh, things are okay. (laughs) Um, it didn't, you know, my worst thought, my worst nightmare didn't come true. Um, and we're able to really use that as part of that process, that evolution of like, you know, as you said, as you kind of step into a new chapter in your business or a new chapter in your life, reframing and redefining what those things mean, it's really important. And I think that comes with that in itself is being an entrepreneur outlaw because changing your mind and acknowledging that you're in seasons and it's okay, that not everything lasts forever and you can make those decisions, that is, that is powerful yeah. And it's and I think not always what people expect. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's two words that I have like a big problem with and around these types of things. And one would be busy, which, you know, we, for a long time, that for me would have been a badge of honor, like yeah. saying I was busy, um, especially in like my uni days where I would leave my apartment at 7am and not come back until like nine or 10 o'clock at night. Um, cause yeah. I was so involved and then, and so like finding a problem with that. And then the other thing is that I really, really bothers me is when like 
the, and I think it happens quite a lot here where I live, but the, when the highest honor a woman can be is selfless and you're like, mm-hmm. that is so fucked that the yeah. best thing she could be is to care as little as possible about herself. That is yeah. cool. So yeah, that is something that angers me. <laughs> it's interesting you brought that up because so, um, at the time of this airing, our previous episode, guest episode, we actually touched on that. And I mentioned um, in that episode that when I, back in the day, when I was unfortunately obsessed with diet culture and everything that goes with it, I mean, I didn't know it was diet culture then. I just thought it was my life. Um, I was obsessed with The Biggest Loser. And I used to always remember how these women who were in their 50s and 60s would come onto the show and the kind of the story when they were introduced as like a contestant would be how they have put everybody first throughout their whole life. They're a great mother. They're a great wife. They've done everything for everyone. And I just always remember sitting there looking at these women thinking, wow, like I don't want anybody to ever say that about me. I don't want anybody ever to say she'll do anything for anyone because it's said in this way that, as you said, it's supposed to be this badge of honor. But to me, it makes me really uncomfortable. Like, I don't want anybody, I don't want just anyone to think that I would do anything for them in in that way, that I would just go out of my way to work overtime without getting paid. Or, you know, I would run through my lunch break and not actually stop and take a break so that, you know, somebody else didn't have to do their job properly. And those are the things I experienced in my corporate job. And I kind of always held that really close because it really bothered me. And I was like, I, I didn't know why it bothered me so much back then, but I did. And I really held on to that. And now it's like, I'm okay being selfish. Like I, I, I take that as a positive thing that I'm being selfish by putting myself first or allowing myself to prioritize what I need and also still being able to take care of other people that I care about and being able to put other people on that list and know that they are taken care of without feeling like I'm leaving myself in the dirt. As yes. It were. Yes. Like we hear all the time that self-care isn't selfish, but I think at the same time, we also sometimes we're going to feel that because society tells us that it is. And I think there's no way of escaping that those little pangs of, of guilt are going to appear, but knowing how to move past it is, is powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and continuing to move past it. Yeah. I think that the thing is, is they always say self-care isn't selfish, but like it is, and it probably should be, and we should be okay with it being selfish. Like, I think it's reframing what selfish means. Mm-hmm. Reframing. It's not such it a means. bad thing. No, no, Exactly. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today and to sit down and have this conversation. I think it's been really, really amazing. We've been able to talk about so many different things, which I love. Um, Before you leave, where is everyone going to be able to find you online? Yes. So my website is www.calibratedconcepts.com. If you can't spell that, you can put in elliemcbride.com. It goes to the same place. We will link it. Um, (laughs) And because there's a lot of C's in that, I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then on Instagram, which is where I hang out the most um, socially, is elliemcbride. 
And that is me. Amazing. Perfect. Yes. So we will make sure that Ellie is linked all over in the show notes. So make sure you go check out her Instagram, um, find out more about what she's doing and how she's um, helping you be more efficient over on her website. We will make sure that is linked as well. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. It's really cool to, you know, now be on your podcast, having you been on my podcast. It's just, it's very, very, very good. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. Well, Outlaws, there you have it. I hope you really enjoyed today's episode. As I said, it was such a pleasure to get to sit down and chat with Ellie. I have been a guest on her own podcast. And also just to know that she has been listening to this show from the very beginning is makes me smile from ear to ear. And I just loved having that conversation. I think it was a really different conversation that we got to have, but I think nonetheless, a very important conversation. And I hope you got as much from it as I did. Make sure you go check Ellie out on social, go and check out her website, learn more about what she's working on and how she can support you and your business. Next week, we will be finishing up the month with our final season episode. We're going to be talking all about how to really explore the season you're in. Kind of following on from last week, we're going to continue having that conversation. I think it's a really important one to not only understand the season that we're in, but also to really honor that and be able to optimize our energies and our businesses during those seasons. And, you know, just having that permission slip, as we talked about before, is so important. So we're going to continue that conversation next week. We're going to round out the month with that episode. And then we'll be getting into May, which is madness. Just to give you a heads up, I will be chatting about this next month with you as well. We are going to be slowing down our recording over the summer as we did last year. I want to lead as I talk about seasonal business and I talk about taking that time to rest. The summer is always a little bit of a relaxed chaos. I don't really know how else to describe it. I feel like six weeks with my son being home from school, it just means that I don't have as much time and I want to enjoy that time and soak up as much of that time with him and my family. So we are going to be slowing down recording and releasing episodes over the summer. We are also going to take the whole of August off because my wonderful podcast manager is welcoming a new human being into this world in June. And um, as we are going to be slowing down, she's going to be taking maternity leave. I'm going to be slowing down and we're going to take the whole of August off and we're going to be back in September with a brand new season. We're going to be moving into seasonal episodes and I am so excited to start to evolve the podcast into this. It's been almost two years since we started. I cannot believe it's been almost two years since we started this show and we are heading towards that 100 episode. I need to figure out when that episode will air and make sure we have a big old party for it. But um, as we head towards 100 episodes and two years of recording, we're going to be taking the step to really honor how we all want to work over here and really make sure that we are giving you the most value when you sit down and take the time to put in your earbuds and listen. So that is what's coming, but I will remind you of this next month. Do not worry. And um, yeah, I'm just excited for where this is all heading and what's to come. So 
make sure you go check out Ellie on our show notes. If you're not sure what the show notes are, there are notes below this episode, wherever you're listening, where we link a little bit of a description and we link to the notes on my website. So if you also look for a full, or are looking for a full transcription, you can find that over at melanienights.com forward slash podcast. All of our episodes are over there. There is a full transcription for every episode. And um, we also link everything from guests and anything I mention in the episodes from songs and well, anything I talk about is linked over there. So that is it from me this week, guys. Thank you so much for listening, for being here, for sharing your reviews, your thoughts. I love you. I really appreciate you. And I will see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Entrepreneurial Outlaws. If you see yourself as an entrepreneurial outlaw and enjoyed this episode, would you do me a small favor? It would mean the absolute world to me if you could take a moment to subscribe to the show and leave a rating and review. By leaving a review, you are helping me to grow our outlaw community and together we can show other entrepreneurs that breaking the rules can actually be good for business. Don't forget, you can find the show notes for today's episode along with any of the links that I mentioned on my website at melanienights.com forward slash podcast. And if we're not already virtual besties, you can come and hang out with me on Instagram. I am the one with the country music playing, the lukewarm coffee in my hand, and I'm dishing the dough on how we can make entrepreneurship more inclusive and transparent. Plus, I'll probably send you some fun gifts. So until next time, outlaws. 